Today is part 28, and I entitled today's message, From Riches to Rags. And I want to begin with a concept to kind of rattle you, see if you're, see if you're awake, see if you're examining your heart. Y'all realize that going to church is not a spectator sport, right? Y'all realize that this is this idea that when you come here, you engage, you begin to examine your heart, you reflect back. You gotta have a life examined, right? You gotta know where you're at with God. This is not just about listening to an interesting history lesson or, or maybe just a few tidbits here and there. This is about examination, checking out your life. So I begin with this concept, which will lead me to the fill in the blank on your sheet here in a second. But the concept is this, money and pride, right? Two things that we're going to wrestle with in our lives, money and pride. But now that we've come through a brutal time in our nation, and some would say we're moving out of it, some would say, well, let's not be so quick on that. We've just gone through a recession to where so many people have lost so much. As a matter of fact, I'm going through the newspaper, right? And I keep reading about these big dogs going down. I mean, it's these corporations that you always looked at and thought, man, they have everything. They're at the top of their game and they're the ones, they always have the corporate jets and they're the ones that have the amazing vacation times and they have all these events all over the world. And you always think those guys are untouchable and yet we have watched them fall one after another. I would say that in that devastation, there is a certain comfort for those people that have lost everything, I believe are a little closer to the heart of God because I think they get it. The rest of us are still playing a game. We still believe we're untouchable. We still believe that it's not going to happen to us. And in some way, insidiously, in our minds and our hearts, we buy into this concept that we deserve everything we get. At least it's good. If it's bad, of course we don't deserve that. No, 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 none of that. But we really deserve to have everything that we've worked for, right? That's our idea. Well, we've earned it. We've gone out there and we sweated for it. And now we can amass and we begin to hoard and grab and begin to take everything for ourselves. I think of the parable in the Bible when it talks about the man that just kept building bigger barns and stuffing them full of all his stuff. When will we be the people that reflect back and say, wait a second, why do I have what I have? Who is God? Who am I? And what am I supposed to be doing with this? When will we become the type of people like Joseph in the Old Testament that though he stored up grain, he did it for a purpose? What was the purpose? So that those that had need would come to the nation and they would be fed. You see... Just, I'm going to give you a little snippet of what I determine my math to be when it comes to pride. We all know the Bible says pride comes before the fall, right? Yeah, that's something that we've all burned into our minds. But here's my math. It's fill in the blank in front of you. It's this. Ready? The speed to the bottom. There you go. The speed to the bottom is one million times faster than the time it took to climb to the top. There you go. Right? That's my math. The speed to the bottom is one million times faster than the time it took to climb to the top. Here's what I want us to think. When the smoke clears from this recession, when the smoke clears, have you kept your head about you? Have you been generous 
with your blessings? Have you invested in the eternal? And have you remembered diligently who God is and who you are? We're about to read of a city that didn't do any of that. The city, a concept that the world began to buy into. A concept of massive, gross indulgence. That it was all about them. That it was not about sharing with those in need that would be your neighbors. That it was not about giving to those that have none. But it was an absolute domination of more, more, more for me. God reacts to this pride with viciousness. Last week, we began to see a vision. Remember, John had this vision of this prostitute sitting on a scarlet, a red beast. All these heads, it was creepy. And we talked about what could that be? He said, that is a city, the great Babylon. I will bring her to ruin. As a matter of fact, the very Antichrist who God is about to battle against and shut him down, he'll even use him to bring judgment onto this wicked city. And we begin to argue, what is Babylon? Is it a revised Rome? Is it a a rebuilt Babylon of ancient? Is it a modern city? What is it? This is what we're examining, but we see her judgment here today in chapter 18. So turn there with me, if you would. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. It's page 876, 876, and the Bible's handed to you. Revelation's last book in the Bible, so just drop it all the way open to the back, scoot back a little bit left, and you're there. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. This is largely written in a poetic structure, so it's going to be a little bit more flowery, and you're going to go, you already said that, why are you repeating yourself? Well, because that's kind of what poetry does, all right? It's not written for being as concise as it possibly could be. So let's take a look at what it would look like if God rained down judgment on a selfish nation, a selfish city, a selfish person, it would look like this. After this, John said, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. For she has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice in heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven. And God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, And famine, she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe! 
Woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice and of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep. Horses and carriages and bodies and souls of men. They will say the fruit you have longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour... Such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we lift up this passage to you. We lift up our lives and ask, Lord, what do we need to know? How do we merge these two? In what way are we like this within our hearts? How have we become something so far away from what you expect and desire? I pray that today that we would allow this to soak in and we would learn from another's mistake. That God, that we would be a generation that is moldable in your sight, moldable in your hands. And useful to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So can we make this applicable? Well, we can certainly make it more close to our hearts. Let's redesign this for a moment. We're reading about Babylon, and for most of us, we're thinking, I don't even know what it is. Could be Rome, but now Rome's no big deal. Could be Babylon, that's a nobody city. Well, let's make it more practical. What if this was about New York? What if this city was in our land? I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying there's evidence that it is. I'm saying what would it be like if we received this voice from God and the great Babylon was New York? That right there on the harbor were all the ships that gathered in for all their cargoes to be shipped and traded. And right there it was laid into ruin. 
and devastated. What would that do to the economies of the world? How many people do business with the United States? How many would immediately go, oh, come on. What? You know what that's going to do to our business? Now we're shattered. Everything we were always expecting that they were going to help us be greater. But now nothing. What would it look like if this was in our hometown? That's what we got to do with some of these pictures is make them personal. John saw it this way. After this, John said, I saw a mighty angel come down from heaven. And indeed, angels have been doing all kinds of stuff in the book of Revelation. This one, it says he had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. That means he was beaming bright like light. Why? Was it because we have glow angels? Right? There's glow worms, so why not glow angels? No. No, 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 no. Y'all remember Moses when he came down from the mountain? He had to put a veil over his face. Why? Because he was glowing. He had been in the very presence of Yahweh Almighty. He had been there and the glory of God emanated and almost soaked in like a suntan. And it began to shine back out. Now you have an angel who's right in the presence of God. He steps out to do God's bidding and he is bursting with light. One commentary said, imagine if he steps into the area of the beast of the Antichrist empire. You go, why, why would that matter? Do you remember the fifth bowl? What is the fifth bowl? It plunged his kingdom into what? Darkness. It's black. All of a sudden, here comes this mighty angel, and he's streaming with light. Makes a big difference. This angel comes out with an important message. What is his message? With a mighty vo voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. He's talking in past terms. It's as good as done. And now we're going to watch it happen. This was prophesied back in Revelation 14.8. Here it comes. She has become, he said, a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Now, why is he getting on the birds? Right? The birds are like, hey, what did I do? Right? Because in the New Testament, even there was reflections on how certain birds were linked to saying this is demonic activity. Remember when the birds swept down and picked up the seeds? off the hard soil same concept right here it says they, this has become a home for all that is demonic one commentary said just as the holy spirit dwells within the church of god so do demons dwell in the city of selfishness then it says for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries what does that mean Last week we talked about he's using this adultery language. Why? Because they're cheating on God. It should be all about God. It should be his promises, his premises to live on, his foundation. But no, nobody has any interest in God. This city is all about gain and commercialism and being able to maximize everything they have for themselves. God has been left behind. Why is it maddening wine? Because money will make you do really stupid things. You know, it's funny, they talk about being love drunk or what about money drunk? Where you start cutting corners and become a person you never imagined because of the sake of the dollar. Have you ever done that? Or for something you compromised your belief, you compromised your character and integrity for one more dollar. That's why it's like wine. It begins to get you to do things you wouldn't normally do. 
It says the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people. Is that the first time God's ever said that? No, I mean, that's pretty common all throughout the Bible, right? Don't be like that. What is the most common term for God's children? Saints. What do saints mean? Holy ones. What does holy mean? It means set apart. Different. And you go, well, that's why, oh, we got to go join a commune. We got to go be crazy and start some new little area where we can go run away and create this utopia. No. Why? Because you're going to bring broken humans into that and it's going to get all screwed up eventually. Come on. It is not just about moving out. It is about being different in your heart. Have you bought into this world system? I see ways that I have, right? Little insidious ways that it creeps into my life. And all of a sudden I start acting and thinking and all the commercials start reflecting much more me than I would like. You bought into that? Because God says, come out of her. Don't be like that. Don't buy into that. It's not the way that you should live. It's not who you are. But we just keep going, well, but that seems to be the way to happiness. Everyone on the commercial looks so pumped up and excited, right? It's really funny. Growing up, I was never, I never got into drinking. But it was really funny because everyone that I saw growing up on TV, actually, beer not only made them happier, but they could play volleyball better and they were better looking. And I thought, man, I'm really missing out here. I have to work for all that stuff. All they do is just drink beer and it works. That's amazing. All right. Are we buying into this stuff? Come on. He says, come out of her. Do you all remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Right. That's a pretty, that that one will lock in your mind, right? Right. Read that one to your kids before they go to bed. Right. Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to go down and destroy it. It's told lot. What? We got to get out of here. I need you to get out. Why? Because I'm raining down devastation on this place. The wife, remember Lot's wife? She did get out. But what was the problem? She looked back because her heart never left. See, you can even come out of a place. You can even be a missionary somewhere and your heart is still locked back home. You understand what I'm saying? Come out of her, my people, because I'm about to tear this place apart. You don't want any part of this. This isn't for you. Get out. But even right now, examine your heart. Is your heart too tied in? Could you walk away if you needed to? It said this. Come out of her so you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Man, that's quite a stack. That's a lot of, that's a lot of sins to be able to stack up to heaven. Obviously, that's proverbial, right? But he said, and then God remembered her crimes. What did we say last time? Whenever you hear the word God remembered, it wasn't that God forgot. It means what? God turned his attention toward her crimes and he's doing something about it. He said, give back to her. The angel said, as she has given, pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as glory and luxury. She gave herself for in her heart. She boasts. I sit as a queen. That's not humility. That's the, I run the show. I'm the big dog. I'm everything. It's all about me. I can use anyone I want. I sit as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. I have never felt 
invincible, but I know a lot of my friends have. I was too much of a paranoid hypochondriac to ever be invincible, right? And I've shared that with you before. It's very hard to be invincible when you're like, I sneeze, it's a tumor, right? <laughs> but there are many of my friends that, that they, they would operate as if they were invincible. Nothing will ever harm me. That mindset and believe you know your future and think it's all in your hands you will begin to get corrupted by the power that lies there. Be very careful of that. Are you clear on what you are and your mortality? It helps to remain humble. It says this, Therefore in one day, that means really fast, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Now, as he judges her, there are three groups that gather up to watch it burn and panic because of what it means for them. The kings of the earth. And I don't just want you to hear kings. I want you to hear presidents. I want you to hear rulers. I want you to make it modern. Doesn't matter. Governors, mayors. Senators, congressmen, I don't care what it does to make it applicable to you, but start thinking that way. Leaders begin to weep because their country can no longer make more money off that country. Number two, what? Merchants on land where they know that as they trade, as they, as they, what, fly planes, run everything to get more and more cargoes, they can export and import and have this global economy. They're affected. And those that trade the merchants by sea, they're watching. And all of them are thinking, no, this is the end for not only her, but this is devastating my bottom line. And they're weeping for themselves because they bought into the selfishness. So they begin to mourn. It says, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning. Right now, that's either literally or they see it on TV. They see the smoke of her burning. It says they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. Are we all pretty aware of how fast a nation can fall? I was doing a crossword puzzle the other day. I'm a huge crossword puzzle guy, right? I always try to do the New York Times crossword puzzles, but those are literally for, like, I don't know, Rain Man, because I have no idea what they're talking about, all right? But anyway, I do the Sunday Puzzler. Okay, that's, that's, for, that's like for the little ones like me. I'm doing this crossword, and it said, nine, what was it, 1991, no, 1989 Atlas abbreviation. And my first, and it was four letters. And I was like, well, when I was growing up, there was the USSR, but there's not anymore. And, but growing up, and I've been sharing through this series, remember how big of a deal Russia was? They were everything. Russia's going to dominate the world. Russia's going to do this. You know what? This generation coming up is kind of like, wait a second, who? Russia? What are they doing? No, 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 we're talking about China now. Well, you have to understand that nations come and go. They rise and they fall. When God wants a nation gone, they're gone. When God wants a city leveled, 
He can take them out. Do you know how close Detroit was already hanging on barely? Now you hit the big three. Really? In one recession. It's not even a depression. And Detroit is right on the edge of nowhere. That's how fast it falls. In one hour, you're gone. Take you apart. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Now, surprisingly enough, over half of the items listed here are also repeated in Ezekiel chapter 27 about a city called Tyre. What I think is so interesting is this is an ancient document we're reading. This is a 2,000-year-old document talking about what the Roman Empire was like in John's day. It's using common language, even though it's talking about the future. It's using words that John and his readers would understand. This is something fascinating because you get an insight into history. So what did they do business with? What was their cargo? It says cargoes of gold. And silver. Rome was a silver city. You know how we think of Babylon being a gold city. Rome was a silver city. As a matter of fact, they would import their silver from Spain, where 40,000 workers would work the mines. It was a huge deal. There was a recording of a guy who was on a military campaign, a Roman general, and just the dishes to eat for he and his key men were 12,000 pounds of silver they would carry with them. How incredibly ridiculous. But that was their city. The idea was that in the Roman Empire, it was all about the silver. So gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, they would drink pearls with dinner. Drop the pearl in their wine, swirl it around, drink it down. Why? This is how much my wine just cost. They would have huge amounts of pearls on their necklace. That was one of their favorite gems. And they would just waste all over the place. Opulence. They did cargoes of fine linen, which would be from Egypt, and purple from Phoenicia. Anybody know how dyes were made in the ancient world? Especially in this area. In the New Testament, when Paul finally got over to Europe, his first convert was a woman by the name of Lydia. In the city of Philippi, what did she do? She was a dealer in what? Purple cloth. Why? Because purple cloth is expensive. Why is it expensive? It's hard to make. You go, it's not that hard to make. Go buy some dye. Go buy a little cloth. Stick it in there. Okay. How are you going to make the dye? Well, I don't know. Go find something purple. There was nothing purple. You can't like grab an eggplant and squeeze it on it. That doesn't work. You got to go find something that's juicy purple. Where are you going to get that? The only place they found it, and the Phoenician, the sea peoples, found it in a shellfish called the murex. You go, the murex? I've never even heard of it. Me either. This little shellfish has a vein right in the middle of it, and it squirts out purple, and it's only one drop at a time. So what you do is you have to hurry up, grab the shellfish right before it dies, because in a matter of seconds, the vein will dry up. You have to hurry up and squeeze it. One drop. That was it. Next. Grab the next one. Next. That's why it's so expensive. Purple was a color of the Roman Caesars, right? They would go around the big flowing purple robes. Why? 
You have no idea how long these things take to make. With us, we just kind of go, oh, we have all these different colors, no big deal. No, in that time, colors meant work and effort because of where it came from. I was over in Turkey a number of years ago, and I went to a place where they make rugs, you know, like floor rugs. Now, to me, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but I think rugs are incredibly boring. All right. I'm sitting there going, really? We're going to go to a rug factory. Wow. That's exciting. All right. So we walk in and it's this massive place and it looked like we walked into a used car dealership. There was guys in suits all waiting and watching us come in like we were their prey. They come hovering up. And when you walked around the place looking at the rugs, they would follow you and hover right over you. These rugs were not just regular rugs. They were $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 rugs. And you're going, Why? For a rug, come on. Some were made with silk. Some were made with this. All different kinds of stuff. And I didn't care until I went in the back and saw how they made them. And it was there I saw a whole room full of women, one line by one line on a loom, putting them together. These enormous rugs. And when they would roll them out for us and show us, they'd say, this rug took five women three years to make. And you would go, three years for one rug that we're just going to walk on and put our dining table on? Now you begin to get the idea. Back then, people knew by looking at something how expensive it was. That was a lot on the word purple. Sorry, let's move on. <laughs> Fine linen, purple, and silk from China. In that day, it was a pound of gold for a pound of, of silk. It was the same exact trade. That's how valuable it was. Scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood. That's a North African deep, sweet-smelling wood that was used for furniture, but it was extremely expensive. Articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, and iron, which would be from the Black Sea in Spain. And marble from Africa, Egypt, and Greece. Cargoes of cinnamon from India and spice of incense, myrrh, frankincense. Those are all resins or saps out of a tree. Of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages. And the carriages are the four-wheeled private chariots of the Romans. And bodies and souls of men. What do you think bodies and souls of men mean? Slavery. It is estimated that there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire in John's day. That is one-third of their entire population in the whole planet. It was not unusual for 10,000 slaves to be sold in one day. Some slaves were owned by good owners that would allow them to do amazing things and be part of the family, but the majority were used and abused and discarded. Your master owned you. He owned your children that you bore. And he had power over life and death over you. You were used in whatever capacity he wanted to use you. So it depends on who bought you at the market. What's interesting is that the place where they would sell slaves, it was where you buy bodies. That was just what it was called in Greek. Moves on. They will say the fruit you have longed for, meaning your wealth and indulgence, is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry, Woe, woe, O oh great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. But then the seafaring folks 
they had their take. Every sea captain, meaning the pilot of the ship, not the owner, but the one who's on the ship. And all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off when they see the smoke of her burning. So once again, think about the harbor of New York. Think about the great river Euphrates watching Babylon. Think about the sea watching Rome. It says they will throw dust on their heads. That was the ancient way of what? Showing a sign of mourning. You throw dust on your heads and with weeping and mourning, they cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh, great city where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she's been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has judged you. Why? For the way she treated you. That is our defender, God. We will see in two weeks the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, with his name written on his thigh, come riding in on a horse. This is our defender. This is our protector. When a, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone. Anybody know what a millstone looks like? A millstone is a grinding stone, and it looks like a donut. Right? Anybody remember the comic strip B.C.? Remember what they all rode around on? Okay, same thing. You have this big stone, a little hole in the middle. And what would happen is there's two kinds. There's a smaller one a lady could crank with her hand and grind stuff. And then there was donkey-sized, where it took a donkey, his weight, to pull it to crush things. This is a donkey-sized millstone. An angel walks up, grabs this enormous rock, and throws it into the ocean. What do we know about throwing rocks into the water? First thing that happens is what? Big splash. Huge hit. But then, give it a couple seconds, let the ripples fade. Where did the rock go in? You have no idea. It's gone as if it never happened. Same thing. He throws it into the ocean and said, with such violence, the city, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters, they're never going to be found in you again, meaning no more joy. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again, and the sound of a millstone will never be heard, meaning no more prosperity. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again, meaning no more hope, no more possibility. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard, meaning no more future. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. Yet in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been killed. On the earth. Next week is the great rejoicing of heaven over the victory of God. All this joy. Following that, Jesus rides in, finishes the work of the Antichrist, the false prophet. They're shut down. The battle of Armageddon is waged, and it's over in a split second. And we begin to proceed towards the future, towards glory, towards joy, towards peace, towards restoration. And we see the new heavens and the new earth that God has designed for us. So how do we make this practical? Right? Money and pride. Are we going to learn from their mistakes or are we going to go out and do it? To what degree are we buying into this stuff? In our hearts, I don't care what you have on the outside. It doesn't matter. You go, well, my house is pretty mellow. I don't have a huge bank account. I don't care. What's your heart doing? Do you all the time just long? And when you see another fancy car drive by, does your heart just sink and go, if only? Are you really putting your hope in stuff? 
where that's going to make a difference. I want you to think for a moment. Let's say you win the lottery, right? Let's say, I don't know, 80 million bucks of the things that truly matter that you will carry with you from this life. What can you buy? Will it make your children more healthy? No, it won't. Will it change your lifespan? No, God is in charge of that. Will it save your marriage? No, it will likely strain it. What is it going to buy you? I understand the fun of it. I understand the joy of it. And heck, I'd love to win for toys. I love toys. But what ultimately will it buy you? We have to re-rack our hearts. We have to look at the world differently. Because if all we chase for is that, we will miss God in the process because he was waiting along the path the whole time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us fair warning. That you've shown us what is empty and what is fulfilling. That you've shown us what we would be partnering with to completely unite with this world. To buy into the commercials, to believe what we see in the mall and what people keep trying to present as joyful. God, give us a deeper sense of satisfaction, a deeper sense of joy. And Father, raise our hearts up to you, for this world has nothing to offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.